Where did secondaries deal volume land in 2022? And what do key industry players anticipate will shape the growing market in the year to come? Welcome to Spotlight. This is the first in an ongoing mini-series where Secondaries Investor will dive into interesting developments in the secondary market in detail. I'm Madeline Farman, a senior reporter with Secondaries Investor, and today I'm joined by my colleague Adam Lay, senior editor with PEI. We sat down to run through the New Year's reports and surveys and took stock on what we anticipate could happen in the world of secondaries in 2023. Here's our conversation. What was the most surprising thing that you wouldn't have anticipated at the beginning of last year that you reported on or that happened in the secondaries market in 2022? Oh, that is such a good question because there's so much happened last year. You know, there were people moves, there were acquisitions, there were unusual deals. I guess one thing that really sticks out from last year is the resurgence of stapled deals. Because in previous years, if you think back to sort of like 2015, 2016, staple deals, even 2014, there are lots of flagship staple deals on big, big, in terms of size, big name brands, firms, that kind of thing. And then they really dwindled down. And you look at the advisory reports over the years and the number and volume of, of staple deals or even the proportion of staple deals just really fell down for many reasons, largely including the fact that, you know, fundraising was kind of so not easy, but, it, you know, Fundraising the private equity market didn't need to necessarily be boosted by by staple deals. But last year, because of the challenged fundraising environment, we saw a lot of firms and firms that you wouldn't expect to be using the secondaries market to, to use staple deal technology, actually using it to either get fundraising over the line or to kickstart fundraising or something like that. So that's probably one trend that I wasn't expecting to happen, but that stands out to me as something interesting from 2022. It's interesting that you picked that up because that was one of the points that was brought up in our 2023 Look Forward interviews. Vina Isaac from Apollo's S3 unit did mention to us uh, that LP tender offers with staples have grown further in 2022, and she expects, or Apollo expects, that that trend will continue into 2023. As you say, Big names last year, you've got Carlisle, uh, Harvest Partners, Sun Capital Partners, all out either mulling or, or entering the market with uh, staple tender processes. I had a really interesting conversation last year with uh, a few advisors who said, you can go to market with these deals, right? You can look for a buyer, you can look for the opportunity to offer this to your LPs. But realistically, only the best firms and the best funds are going to be able to get these deals across the line. Because you need to have a perfect triangle, if you like, between the GP wanting to offer this to their LPs because they're dealing with the denominator effect. And it would be nice to give them liquidity uh, with the hope that they back the flagship fund that might be out in the market at the moment. Then you have to have the buyer who is willing to price that staple tender in such a way that will be attractive to those LPs. And then you have the LPs who have to be willing to sell out of that fund at the price that is given to them. So realistically, we are only going to see those best firms able to get those processes over the market. I think it will be very interesting to see which firms in 2023 actually successfully get those staple tender offers off the table and have their LPs happy and walking away into the next flagship. So we've got a variety of reports sitting in front of us, Adam. 
Should we run through the top line figures of 2022? Yeah, we do. What's the kind of range that you're seeing from looking at the reports? So it seems to be somewhere between 110, 100 and 110 billion dollars of volume last year, in line with what we were hearing from market participants throughout 2022. So no tremendous surprises, I don't think. Evercore, for example, has it pinned at $103 billion last year. Uh, we've got Jefferies in front of us at $108 billion last year. Greenhill, very nicely, has given us the 100 to $110 billion range last oh. year. Uh, so, yes, I'm, I'm not sure whether that chimes with what you were hearing throughout the market and what we can expect to start 2023 off with Adam? (laughs) I mean, it's worth saying that Triago also put out a $103 billion figure in December, and that also all these figures represent a drop on 2021, right? Where it was kind of something around $130 billion of record deployment. Yes, $130, $135 billion, the record standout year for secondary transactions. Uh, but obviously, given the volatility last year, it, it was never expected to be as standout as it was in 2021. I think the key words that we heard on the lips of everyone last year was the bid-ask spread. I don't know if you agree with that, Adam. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that seems to be what people were talking about that was kind of explaining why there was a bit of a drop in volume. And that's obviously driven by sellers and buyers' different expectations of what a stake in a private markets fund is worth because of all the kind of volatility that was happening last year and driven by the fact that, well, I guess both on the buy side and on the LP side didn't really seem to have a lot of A, either trust in GP's marks or B, thought that the marks were going to come down to kind of better reflect public market pricing and comparable pricing. I know one of the reports that you've read, Adam, has quite a bit on mosaic transactions in the coming year. Mm, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So just looking at Jeffrey's end of year report, one of the things that they note is that there were a lot of mosaic transactions. This is in LP portfolio sales last mm. year. So what this essentially means is that instead of the whole portfolio going to one sole buyer, it is kind of broken up and sold off piecemeal to different buyers. So you know, a, a buyer with an interest in infrastructure might bid on the infrastructure stakes and and so on and so forth for venture, um, for Asia exposure, for growth, that kind of structure. And that typically can allow a portfolio to potentially get better pricing in some cases, because if it's just going to one sole buyer, the the buyer might want to bid or acquire 80% of the portfolio, but they might not be so interested in the other 20% of the portfolio, and therefore their overall bid comes down. Whereas if you have mosaic pricing, so the theory goes, you know, the, the best suited buyer can pay the best price, and overall it's better for the seller. So that's the theory. And Jeffries actually has some statistics here, which is that the average number of buyers in a mosaic transaction last year actually rose rose to 3.5 and that's up from 2.4 in 2021 so that's that's just an interesting data point i mean this is something that um, a buyer said to me you know last week that in this current market mosaic transactions really are you know the flavor of the month it's fascinating that you say that adam because i've just had a conversation with an advisor on a european lp that is doing just that mm. coming across their desk multiple times in multiple different forms very so, timely on on the lips of everyone, apparently. <laughs> Let's dig into more of the report findings. I particularly found it quite interesting. So I have Green Hill's report sitting in front of me. Uh, historical secondaries pricing since 2013 up until 2022 
is at a 10-year low across all strategies and is also at a 10-year low for buyouts as well. Uh, So pretty interesting to have this report sitting right in front of me when you heard a lot of commentary about it last year and now you can see it in black and white. Let's run through some of the key drivers of pricing in 2022 as per Greenhill's report. So pricing for buyout, venture and growth, fund of funds and secondaries, and real estate bore the brunt of the market correction. Interestingly, pricing for infrastructure and private credit funds was relatively stable. So pricing for infrastructure was supported by robust demand, chasing diversified fund portfolios with exposure to underlying assets that are inflation hedged and recession resilient. Similarly, pricing for private credit funds was driven by strong demand from dedicated buyers for direct lending strategies with dedicated pools of capital. So I find those findings um, really interesting there. I think infrastructure, uh, you know, as it says on the tin, those assets looking inflation hedged and recession resilient, as Greenhill puts it. But also I think it's quite interesting and, and a theme we'll continue to touch on this year of the growth of the dedicated secondaries, private credit funds, and all of those players that are either launching new strategies or looking to get into it in earnest away from their flagship funds. Collar, for example, raising their first dedicated credit fund last year. So it's an area I expect to develop, but uh, interested to hear from market participants in that space of what the key drivers will be in the coming year. So one last thing I saw, um, Maddie, was in PJT Park Hill's Q4 report. They've actually listed five predictions for the secondaries market in 2023. They're all super interesting. One that jumped out at me was that they expect market volume for 2023 to be 150 billion. So that would be really the highest ever, eclipsing you know the 130 odd billion that traded in 2021. And they expect this to be split 50% GP leads, 40% LP leads, and then a sort of remainder in financing. So that's I guess preferred equity perhaps and lav lending and that kind of thing. So still got 11 months of the year to go, but uh, that's a pretty pretty bold prediction. Interesting that you mentioned that because when I reached out to Apollo S3 the end of last year, they gave me a similar prediction of $150 billion of secondaries volume. I do think it's worth bringing up an Evercore's report. They, to start the year off, the market sees, as per their report, $131 billion of dry secondaries dry powder to be deployed. So it'll be interesting to see where that additional capital comes from if we see that $150 billion worth of activity. We've also got Jefferies here. They anticipate over $120 billion worth of deal flow. So I also think what's interesting here is maybe how these buyers or market participants define secondaries. Because as you say, the PJT report is including financing. Others might not be including that in their final figures. How do we define how large this market is and how considerable that transaction volume will get in 2023? I think that's a very open question. I don't know if you feel the same way, Adam. Mm, and, And as well, where the capital is going to come from. I mean, you know, Firms with dedicated funds are constrained by the actual size of the fund, right? And, and so an advisor was saying to me last week that the only way that the market can grow, at least in the short to medium term, is the emergence of non-traditional capital. So this is like pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, other, you know, sort of institutional investors, in other words, adding to the pie. So using their own capital to back secondaries deals because the dedicated firms are capital constrained. So, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. But if that actually happened, that could potentially dwarf the current dry powder of the current secondaries market as we know it. So something to keep our eye on. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you have any interesting tips for the podcast, drop me a line via email or LinkedIn. In the meantime, find all of your Secondaries Market news on secondariesinvestor.com. And to hear more episodes of Spotlight and our next breakdown of developments in the Secondaries Market, find us wherever you listen to podcasts or at any of PEI Group's various titles online.